Welcome to the Statesman Journal's Explore Oregon podcast. I'm your host, Zachar Ness, and in each episode, producer David Davis and I highlight Oregon's most beautiful and interesting places. This podcast is brought to you by the American Forest Resource Council, supporting responsible forestry on public lands throughout the Pacific Northwest. Learn more at amforest.org. In this edition, we're floating down one of Oregon's most iconic rivers, a stream named in honor of a hunter who was robbed of his clothes and walked naked for 80 miles. But first, here's some guitar music to get us rolling. All right, David, so in this edition, we are going to talk about the John Day River and specifically about one of the most famous float trips in Oregon. As I alluded to in the introduction, yes, there is some colorful history here, but we're going to talk mostly about how to pull off this overnight boating trip and all the cool things you can do along the way. Yeah, the John Day River is an impressive waterway by you know many measures. It's 284 miles, making it the third longest river in Oregon and the second longest river without a dam in the United States. Yeah. It begins in the Blue and Strawberry Mountains of Eastern Oregon and kind of traces a path through some of the driest, harshest, and, you know, most remote landscape right there in the center of the state. The town of John Day is the largest population center, but the real gateways to the river are small towns along the way like Spray, Monument, Fossil, and Condon. Yeah, it's hard to overstate just how remote this river is. So not only does it flow through the state's least populated area, but once you're on the river, you're just totally closed in within these giant desert canyons that are rising thousands of feet overhead. Oregon has some of these amazing desert rivers and the John Day right at the top of the list. While we have a lot of ground to cover, what makes the John Day such a classic river trip and why travel all the way out there? Yeah, it's a long drive from pretty much anywhere in Oregon, so you got to commit to it. And I'm going to try to sum it up in just a few words, right? So scenery, fishing, mellow rapids, and great campsites. Now, I know it's a cliche, but done right, this river does have it all. The river snakes through these amazing, like, horseshoe canyons. You know, you're camping on sandy gravel bars at night. You're catching smallmouth bass in the morning. The weather, even in the spring, which is when most people do a trip here, it's typically sunny and warm. So we're talking 80s to 90s. And the big upside here that really grabs people's attention is that the water is not super intimidating. You know, you don't have to be an expert rower running class five rapids to pull this off. I was able to bring my five-year-old and feel pretty confident about that. And some people will actually use a canoe or a stand-up paddleboard. It's one of the few, you know, classic wilderness river trips where you can do that and without a lot of stress. So what's the toughest part of pulling the whole trip off? It's it's the organization. Um, you got to, you know, have the right boat. You've got to have the right permit. You got to have the right gear. You got to pick the right section of the river. You got to know when to go. There's just a lot of homework that needs to go into getting this done just before you get on the water. And if things do go wrong, like it did for a group that I met on the river last spring, it can get pretty bad. Like the consequences of screwing up here are pretty high. Luckily, we're going to do a lot of that homework for you. And just for fun, we'll talk about how the river got its name. Quick preview, it involves a naked man described as tall and handsome. So you can look forward to that. (laughs) All right. So we spoke about the region where the river sits. How do you set about actually choosing where to float? It's pretty long. Right. So there are actually eight different segments of the John Day that people float and that are protected by the Wild and Scenic Rivers Act. 
Each of those eight sections requires getting a limited entry permit in advance. The idea is to keep the river from getting overcrowded. So each segment is different. They're all worth exploring and interesting in one way or another. The one we're going to focus on is probably the most famous. It is known as Clairno to Cottonwood, and it can either be done as a 70-mile or a 44-mile trip, depending on where you start. So about what time of year should you plan on doing this trip? The permit season, so when you got to get those permits and generally when people want to do it, is from May 1st to July 15th. My favorite time period in there is late May to early June. And the reason is that you want to have enough water in the river to kind of keep you moving, but you also want it to be warm. And so the odds of both of those things coming together is best in that window, though every year is different depending on snowpack, rain, and stuff like that. Yeah, so outside of that window, you're looking at maybe low river flows, poor weather conditions, either hot or cold, snow, right? You, oh, yeah. You can see any number of different things. I think the the worst part is actually late in the season where it gets so low that you're hitting rocks all the time. You're trying to, you know, it's a long trip no matter what. You're trying to make river miles and it's just slow frog water. So um, it's not, almost a hike of boat at that point. Yeah. And if you have, you know, you got to camp, you know, got to pack a lot of stuff. So it's, you know, it's not easy. You want the You want the river helping you along rather than hindering it. Yeah, so you said it's either 70 or 44 miles. It's a pretty big difference. Yeah, so when you get your permits for this segment, and it's segment two, you can choose to either begin at Clarno or 30-mile boat launch. So Clarno means it's a 70-mile trip, and that's kind of the classic one that people have been doing for years. 30-mile is about halfway there, halfway between, and it's 44 miles. That's actually a new river access place that just came online. And it's nice for families. You want to do this iconic section of river, got kids, don't necessarily have time for, you know, five days on the river. You can do it in a shorter time period. All right. So you've got your permit and your dates for the trip. The next big decision is what boat to float, right? This section is closed to motorized craft, but it still leaves you with a few choices. Why is that so relevant here? Well, with a lot of famous river trips in the West, your only real option is a raft or a kayak. You know, those are meant to handle the big rapids. The thing about the John Day again is that there are pretty limited major rapids. So if you start at Clarno, there's one class three rapid, but it's pretty easy. It can be portaged and the rest is mostly class one. So that's Lots of waves, but no real technical rapids that can get you in trouble. And for that reason, it's popular trip for canoes and even stand-up paddleboards have become kind of a thing out there. Yeah, but you probably wouldn't want to plunk down a rented canoe in the John Day as your first big trip without much prior experience, right? You've got to be pretty good to pull this off. Yeah, so here, here's a story. On my trip, we were having lunch on the beach when we heard some shouting. And the first thing we saw was a bunch of gear, like, floating downstream. No, right? never good. Not, not, not a good sign. <laughs> and then we saw a really even more interesting sight. There's two guys holding paddles, and they're sitting in a canoe that is totally filled with water. But you couldn't actually see the canoe, so it just looked like two guys, like, <laughs> floating down the river. ghost floating something <laughs> down the river. Um, so that wasn't going good. And then the second part of their group uh, had their canoe overturned. They were losing gear everywhere. They ended, we helped them out, but it was like the fourth time they'd been swamped. They ended up losing their cell phone, their food, even their car keys at the takeout. So the answer is, yeah, you better be good because there are a lot of smaller rapids, difficult currents. And if you get swamped, like you're, you're kind of hosed. So this, you know, shouldn't be your first time at the rodeo. Should not be your first time at the rodeo. You better be an experienced canoeist. 
All right, so lastly, let's talk about some of the seemingly small but pretty important piece of equipment you'll need to have. Well, you're going to need all your camping equipment, obviously, for however many nights you're going to go, and it has to fit in your boat of choice. But one thing that people often don't think about is having a movable toilet system, often known, awesomely enough, as a groover. Not sure where the nickname came from, but yeah, there are no bathrooms in the remote canyons of the John Day. And there's hardly any dirt or sediment because we're in the desert, so there's nowhere to bury your business. That means that if everyone just answered nature on the side of the river, it would get very gross very quickly. That's why you bring a toilet system to bring your number twos with you on the boats. It's not as gross as it sounds, except when you have to empty it, but, you know, it's only slightly worse than changing diapers. Actually, it is quite a lot worse than that, but you only got to do it once, so whatever. (laughs) So we've covered a lot. Permits, time of year, the different sections of the river, anything else people should keep in mind? This is getting into the weeds just a little bit, but the river flow is going to make a big difference in how you're experienced. We mentioned this before, but you're going to want to look at what the river is flowing at for your trip. My favorite level is right around 2,500 cubic feet per second. You can find the John Day gauge that'll have these readings and even project where it's going to be. If it gets below 1,000 or below 800, like we talked about before, it's going to be kind of slow, a lot more rocky. Um, It just depends on conditions. Also, you'll definitely want to set up a shuttle, which means having someone drive your car from where you put in and driving it to the takeout. It saves a ton of time. If you try to do it yourself, you got to devote a day or two just to that. And for 100 bucks, it is well worth the money. To find it, just Google John Day Shuttles, and you'll find what you're looking for. So what's the cell service like out there? Um, non-existent. Um, I ended up just putting my cell phone on airplane mode because... You know, I just wouldn't figure you're going to get it out there. I think you can climb to some of the higher peaks, um, which is kind of a fun thing to do. And you do get cell service out there just because it's deserts. So it's not like there's a ton of mountains blocking it because the cell service on the way in is halfway decent. Yeah, but you shouldn't plan on having it the whole way. I would not plan on having it. It's kind of one of those things where in an emergency, you would go out and try to find it, but don't count on it. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about what a day on the John Day River feels like and detail the history of John Day himself. The following message is brought to you by the American Forest Resource Council. Did you know that over 80 million acres of our national forest lands are at risk of catastrophic wildfire, insects, and disease? Science-based active forest management, including mechanical thinning and prescribed fire, helps promote resiliency of public lands, ensuring they can be enjoyed for generations to come. The American Forest Resource Council stands for sustainable forests and healthy communities. Learn more at amforest.org. All right, welcome back. In the second half of the podcast, we're going to talk about what a day is like on the John Day. But first, let's start, as we often do, with a look back at John Day himself. More than just about anyone in this area of the state, this guy's name is everywhere. John Day is the name of a city, a river, national monument, a dam, even a geologic rock formation. <laughs> it's everywhere. But who is John Day and what did he do to deserve having his name plastered all over everything? Yeah, so John Day is one of those legendary mountain men where it's really hard to separate the reality from myth. I've read a bunch of different accounts, 
And they're all sort of similar on the same basic things uh, with a few details changed here and there. So we're drawing from a bunch of different sources in retelling this tale. All right. So John Day was a hunter from the backwoods of Virginia, born around 1770. Apparently, he was very tall and pretty strapping, six feet, two inches, which was, you know, taller than most in those days. Not much is known about his early life, but apparently he lived life in the fast lane. (laughs) What the fast lane was back in the 1770s, who knows? But here's a quote from one write-up. It was his boast that in his younger days, nothing could hurt or daunt him. But he had lived too fast and injured his constitution by excesses. We don't say constitution nearly enough. No. These days. No. Um, I feel like my constitution's pretty strong. Depends on the day. Yeah, that's true. So even so, when he joined a fur company party that was headed on an overland expedition to Astoria, so this is how he was described by the writer Washington Irvin in 1838. He was tall and handsome with an open, manly countenance, and he was a prime woodsman and an almost unerring shot with an elastic step as if he trod on springs. Yeah, he really kind of sounded like a good guy to have along with your exploration party. But on an expedition west in 1811, he became sick and the entire party left him behind except for Ramsey Crooks near present-day Weiser, Idaho. The next spring, Crooks and Day traveled across the Blue Mountains to the Columbia River when everything pretty much went wrong. Indeed, as they right at the mouth of what was then apparently called the Mau Mau River, although I've seen other descriptions of what it might have been called in the early days. Anyway, they come to where this river flows into the Columbia and Day and Crooks are attacked by Native Americans. Now, it appears likely that they were targeted for retribution from an attack on the tribe by a previous trading party. Either way, Day and Crooks weren't killed, but they were robbed of all their belongings and stripped of all their clothes. And they had to walk something like 80 miles, buck naked, through some pretty challenging terrain until they were finally rescued. John Day had a pretty eventful rest of his life. Depending on the account, he may or may not have gone mad for a few years before eventually trapping for a time in the Willamette Valley and then dying around 1820 in the Snake River Canyon region. Yeah, but as we've said, his name definitely lived on. The The site where Day was robbed and stripped naked, I think just because it was such a wild story, became known as John Day's River. And as often happens, the name stuck, even though the man himself never explored the river that now bears his name. And it's funny, people have drawn different conclusions from this guy's history. It's kind of all over the place. So, for example, like in the history of the city of John Day, they write, Even though history does not record it, John Day must have been an outstanding man. Wherever he went, a creek, valley, or river was named after him. Now, I'm going to go on a limb. That feels like kind of a stretch. (laughs) Feels like you're kind of trying to justify the name of your town a little bit there. And another conclusion, this one coming from the more even-handed Oregon Encyclopedia, says, do more to the resources in the John Day River watershed than any accomplishments of the man himself, John Day is indelibly linked to Oregon through place names. Wow. Bucket of cold water. Yeah, they, they, it. they come at him pretty hard, which uh, that's a bold move by the Oregon Encyclopedia. Just happened to be there. All right. Let's go ahead and return to the river now. So you do all your packing, all the planning. What's the payoff? You're right. It is a lot. And as I was doing this first trip, I was thinking, wow, there's a really good reason that people pay river outfitters thousands of dollars per person to take them on these trips. Because once you're on the river, it's 
wonderful. I think river trips into remote areas are one of the best trips you can have because you can do everything, but it's so much work. So go ahead and paint us a picture. What's what's the average day like? Yeah. So in the morning, you wake up in camp, you know, eat some scrambled eggs on a camp stove, drink coffee as the sun rises above the canyon walls, probably watching some large birds swoop and dive on the breeze. Once you feel like it, you slowly pack camp into the boat, try to get on the river by 10 or 11 a.m., we would always spend the morning focusing on fishing for smallmouth bass. And in the John Day, they are everywhere. You can fly fish. You can use a spinning rod. We caught fish both ways. You kind of target the slower water near the weeds and the shore. But they're pretty darn easy to catch. My five-year-old caught like four fish and just had crazy fun doing it. Like I remember the first fish she caught, she just kind of like chuck the, the lure into the water, like without really paying attention. I'm like, eh, hey, whatever. And then like a second later, there's like a fish on it and she's like, whoa. And so she loved that. My pal Jim caught some really good size fish. I'm a little disappointed to say we didn't fillet and eat them, but other people we met did. And apparently, you know, I hadn't thought of smallmouth bass as being a good eating fish, but they said they were good. So if you're looking for a good place to get your kid to kind of fall in love with fishing, is this a good place to do it? This is one of the best places I've I've ever found to do it because it's so much more of an adventure too. I mean, when you take a kid to like Detroit or somewhere like a, you know, uh, stock trout's, you know, lake, they're just kind of plunking it in there. Maybe they pull it out. But this one, you know, you're rowing downstream in this crazy scenery and they're catching fish and it's just like all of that together. Man, it's, it's something Quite else. the experience. Yeah. So as the day gets hotter, we usually look for a nice beach to have lunch and swim. And then in the afternoon, you try to make some progress downstream. When it gets hot, you jump into the river. And we had fun actually floating through the rapids in our life jackets. And, you know, you just feel like a fish doing that. In the late afternoon, you start looking for good campsites. Uh, the best ones were in the shade of the juniper trees uh, with kind of a rock beach. And a little tricky to find because you would you'd sort of have to guess. It'd be getting late in the day and you'd look out there and you're like, oh, I think that's a good campsite. And sometimes you're right. Sometimes you're wrong. The evening is all about watching the sunset, fishing some more, and then cooking dinner. If it's before June 1st, you can have a campfire. After that, you're out of luck. Either way, the stars are amazing. So it's basically camp, float, fish, swim, and then repeat for as many days as you're out there. There are also some really great hikes, but you know, there's only so much I can pack into this. <laughs> But it definitely seems like a great place to sort of forge, you know, some great family memories. Yeah, no doubt. And one thing that I was thinking of is, you know, I've been working for almost 10 years to get this rafting set up to the point where I can do these overnight trips. Because like I said, it's so much gear. You need the trailer for the boat and the boat is expensive and there's a frame and oars and all that kind of stuff. And it finally came together. And the thing about the John Day is it's the perfect place to have that first wilderness overnight rafting trip just because you're not worried about the rapids you're worried about just planning things and then once you're out there you can just really enjoy it you're not stressed out so i really love that about the john day i recommend it to anyone um, who's thinking about you know doing their first overnight river trip well that's about all the time we have for left on this explore oregon podcast if you like what you heard check out old episodes at statesmanjournal.com explore you can also find us on apple podcasts google podcasts Stitcher. And a couple of other places where you get your podcasts. All over the place. We'd like to thank our sponsor, the American Forest Resource Council. AFRC supports responsible forestry on public lands throughout the Pacific Northwest for the environment, for the economy, and for the future. Learn more at amforest.org.